Welcome into Second Down on ESPN Radio. Christian Gokel hoping to provide you with a little bit more entertainment than uh, what we had on the radio yesterday, which was just the, the Braves sleepwalking their way through the rubber match. That might even been entertaining for some people. You never know. Mets fans. Yeah. How about those home runs, though, by Austin Riley? I mean, Austin Riley's great. He should be an all-star. Uh, but, again, second down on ESPN Radio. Yesterday kind of bothered me with yeah. the Braves. And I know you lose the series. It's not great. Not really that big of a deal either. You're just two and a half back of the Mets when you were ten and a half back, uh, as we all know, at the beginning of June, right? So I think since the last 40 games, the Braves are 30 and 10, which is the best mark in Major League Baseball. So not terrible. Not a, not a whole lot of reasons to be upset. But coming off of the game yesterday, I I got some beef, and I I. I don't know, and Kevin, feel free to correct me if I'm if I'm being just typical sports fan here and not understanding the game. I understand you play 162 games every single year in baseball. I, along with a lot of other Braves fans, don't understand why this team gets down four runs real early and then just mails it in. I remember yesterday yep. it's four to nothing. Yep. Then it becomes five to nothing off a solo shot. Fine, whatever. But then after that, you hit a home run. Matt Olson, dead, away, dead straight center field, 5-1. to one. Mm-hmm. But still, you're already in don't-really-care mode. Put in the bullpen, guys, that you're just going to get us through. Give yeah. up two more runs, and then it's 7-1, to one, and then, okay, it's actually maybe a little bit out of reach. Flip that, you, you tack on a couple runs at the end of the game, and it's 7-3, to three, whereas if you had buckled down when it's 4 to nothing, it's 4-3, to three, Mm-hmm. in that situation, and that's a whole different ballgame. So if I have any beef with this Braves team, that would be it. But, Kevin, is it just, do I need to calm down because it's 162 games? Yeah, Kevin says probably. Thank you. All right. I just, I get it. <laughs> if you're playing a 17-game season and you give up after you get down big early, a little bit different story than if you're playing 162 of them. So probably don't want to blow through the arms in the bullpen that were probably tired already trying to chase a win that probably wasn't going to happen. But I think Braves fans wanted this series. Yeah, and it, it depends on what's coming up to me. It, it also depends on if this is on, you know, again, like you said, if this is an ongoing issue or not. So there's, there's different things, right? And there's different trends that you have to pay attention to and get worried about. And this is one of them for, for me because think about what just happened, right? Like in the past calendar year, you come off the All-Star break, you make all the trades, you, you go on that run, you win a World Series. Sure. Well, part of that is like, you know, what, what does that do to the psyche of guys, you know, one way or the other? A lot of people say it doesn't affect them or, or whatever. But this is, these are the certain trends and, and times that, that worry me, especially when you're coming off of a success like that, is it's almost like, well, don't worry about it because we can turn it on when we need to. Yeah. We can really try when we need to. We can, we can you know, choose to, to do things a little bit differently with, with the bullpen and whatnot and chase this win when it's important. And the mood of the guys, like, and just like you said, just going after it, we can do that when we need to. Okay, yeah, you did it last year and it was great. 
Yeah. That doesn't mean that in three months, well, when when quote unquote you need it more, it's just gonna but again, happen. But I feel like we're being, like, I feel like we're projecting other sports onto baseball. I I guess I, just, I don't know. I I have, and it's kind oh, of basketball. I think is in the same vein too. Where if the Lakers or the Warriors are down twenty five going into the fourth, they're not gonna try to kill themselves to win a regular season game. Of course not. And honestly, it's kind of made its way to the playoffs <laughs> in basketball. Where it's like it's a seven game series. We're down twenty going into the fourth. Who cares? If it's the finals, a little bit different story. But in those early, like you see it, uh, the Hawks have done this in the past, where they're just they just kind of mail it in going in. So it's just I, I think it's these. Maybe it's just a football thing that we're projecting. I don't know, but once Lindor hits that tank that he hit, puts you up four to nothing. You could just feel everyone, even just kind of the fans and like riding in the car. Uh, listening to it, you're just kind of, uh, all right, well, it's hot, it's noon, let's get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. All the air came out of the hole. Umpires yeah. maybe winding out that strike zone a little bit. Like, hey, yeah. yep. it's, it's pretty hot out here in Atlanta during the middle of July. Let's get out of here. So, I don't know, probably just baseball thing, but it does stick your craw a little bit when it was a big series that you were hyping up. And maybe the fans just hyped it up more than the actual teams themselves. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're coming in for the division lead. Sure, that, and that's great. You, you can still, again, like you can still grab it moving forward. You don't have to be playing the Mets, yeah, to to get the division lead by any means. Well, that's uh, the other but, thing I was gonna I say mean, is heading into the All Star break, the Braves still have a chance to have a lead in the division. They're two and a half back. New York has a four game set coming up with the Cubs. Meanwhile, the Braves have a four game set at the Nationals. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's big. Uh, Cubs have been one yeah. of the better teams at baseball lately. Yeah. Nationals pretty abysmal. They're 30 and 60 at the moment. Yeah, no, I could I could turn things around. But I mean that's that's one of the things that I was I was gonna say though, is is especially going into the all star break, if you're gonna chase a win when you know you have about a week off coming up, yeah, why not do it then? So I don't know. Uh if it, it is it is what it is, but no, that's that's a obviously a very important stretch uh, coming up, and maybe coming out of that, the Braves can be closer to or or have that division lead for sure. Uh, definitely an opportunity to. You have to hope that the the Cubs do what they need to do and and help the Braves out a little bit, and of course, then you got to handle all three games against the, the energy in here right now. Feels like the Braves game yesterday. Okay. Peter's just like, you know, you just got to hope the Cubs can help him out. I, I, feel, like, I, no, I'm I, like, I feel like I did that to you by, like, talking about the energy in and around the Braves the way you're now talking about the games going forward. It feels like listening to that game yesterday where it's like, well, we're down four to nothing here, and we got to sit here for seven more innings, and so do you. So let's just, uh, yep. No. Let's I, get away I, from the negatives. Okay, let's talk about sure. the fun stuff. You know yeah, who's starting for the Nationals tonight? This will make Kevin smile. Anibal Sanchez. 38-year-old Anibal Sanchez hasn't started a game since October 26, 2020. Wow. Nash just activated him off the 60-day DL, or IL, excuse me. 60-day IL gets to start tonight against the Braves. That should be, hopefully, some batting practice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Hopefully, uh, yeah. All right, let's not let the win- the loss yesterday, excuse me, suck any more life out of the show today. Let's talk about something fun, PJ. 
Something I know that's near and dear to your heart. ACC quarterbacks. Yes. Love that. Well, okay, so the reason I bring it up, the ACC just announced, much like we talked about uh, last week, who their attendees are going to be, student-athlete attendees, to ACC Media Days in Charlotte. And as I was looking through them, I was like, quietly, the ACC has a damn good group of quarterbacks right now. Very quietly. Like, going into last year, not really the same kind of vibe, right? Didn't know... What to expect out of Clemson because of Trevor Lawrence is moving on, right? Uh, Miami, we hadn't even heard of Tyler Van Dyke yet. Well, that's Brennan what... Armstrong was a name that no one knew. Yeah, I, don't, I think I, Sam I, Howell was probably the odds-on favorite to be the best quarterback in the ACC last year. I think it was a different vibe, but I think it was for for different reasons. Like, yeah, no one knew who who Van Dyke was, but yeah. everyone was freaking out about De'Aaron King, and you see how that worked out. Like, right. uh, I, there there were a lot of people that were. You know, holding DJU is like a, a Heisman candidate and basically giving it to him already after the Notre Dame well, showing. They thought like, he would just like slide I mean, in and be the next guy, right? Like, yeah. like Deshaun, Trevor, DJU, forgetting that there was a Kelly Bryant year and a half in yeah. between there. Right. No, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people had a lot of hype for, for Kenny Pickett as well. So um, it was it was very different. It's It's crazy to see how different it turned out by not yeah. even the end of the year, like week six. So, no, it's certainly in a, in a very interesting, different spot this year, without a doubt. So I think going into this year, if we're talking best college quarterback to me in the ACC, it's Malik Cunningham yeah, out of Louisville. And I don't know that he gets the attention he deserves. Last year, 2,941 passing yards, 19 touchdowns to six interceptions. Not great in terms of the skew there, but when I add in the other stats here, you kind of see where his game's at. 1,031 yards on the ground and 20 touchdowns from the quarterback for Louisville. Almost right. 40 touchdowns on the ground, which not too long ago was kind of unheard of, a combined 40 touchdowns from a quarterback, right? True. Yeah. Over 4,000 total yards. And just quietly, nobody really talks about him. Just hanging out there with Scott Satterfield playing at the Pizza Stadium. Yeah. That's part part of the uh, part of the problem. There is like you said, no one talks about him enough, and we're yeah. just overlooking all these crazy stats he's putting up. But Correct. at the same time, it's you know probably because of the the team around him there at Louisville and kind of the success they they uh, haven't had. Me, but it's pronounced Louisville. Okay, Louisville. Right. Gotcha. It's got to get stuck in the back of your throat a little bit. Yeah, no, you're right. Kind of like Billy Napier. Yeah, for sure. I'll let you say it like that, but uh, no, I. <laughs> It's it's wild how how much people kind of don't pay attention to it, but he's yeah. always up there putting up highlight crazy plays. Uh, Devin Leary, another really good one at NC State. To me, I really like Devin Leary and thirty five touchdowns to five interceptions last year for him returning, taking on or uh, returning to try to take NC State to that next level, try to go up to the ACC championship. They beat Clemson last year. They were the one who ended Clemson's reign of terror yeah. uh, in terms of ACC matchups, right? But Devin Leary, if there's one drawback to me, it just feels like he doesn't have that killer instinct. I don't know if that makes sense. Right. Like, really good in the game flow, but when it comes down to it at the end, it's just... And he got it done against Clemson last year, and I will readily hand that to him. But I think a lot of that had to do with Clemson's offense just being atrocious, especially early in the year. 
he just doesn't have that killer instinct late in the game. Maybe that's something that changes. Uh, we mentioned Tyler Van Dyke last year takes over for Derek King. Uh, goes for almost 3,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, six interceptions, and he's a gunslinger and all of a sudden has propelled his way from backup quarterback last year to potential top 10 pick Yeah, coming up uh, following this season. We mentioned Malik Cunningham. Brennan Armstrong, uh, he gets DJU's former offensive coordinator as his head coach now in Tony Elliott uh, after Bronco Mendenhall retires last year, 4,449 yards through the year. Crazy. That, 31 that touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and also had nine touchdowns on the ground. Yeah. No, it is wild. You look down and you see Virginia yeah. putting up, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s all year. It's like, what in the world is happening there? And it, it was it yep. was mostly all him. So uh, The defending coastal champion quarterback, Sam Hartman from Wake Forest, he's back for another year. Yep. Uh, he went for over 4,000 yards last year, 39 touchdowns. To 14 interceptions. He did have 50 touchdowns last year, PJ. 11 touchdowns on the ground for Sam Hartman. He's back. Kadon Slovis comes over from USC uh, to try to replace Kenny Pickett there for Pitt. He had 2,513 yards, 11 touchdowns last year to eight interceptions, but he got banged up during the season. Phil Jerkovich is back at Boston College. Another guy who got injured last year, but could be an excellent quarterback for Boston College. DJU's back. At Clemson, like we were just talking about going head to head against him, he's back. Yeah. And as of right now, probably going to be the starter. But Kate Klubnik might be the best quarterback in the ACC right now, and he's a true freshman. Right. So watch out for the guys there. And Orange, down in uh, Tallahassee, you have Jordan Travis back for another year. He's not going to have to split reps again uh, this year with Dylan Gabriel. Last year, 1,500 yards, 15 touchdowns to six interceptions, and added seven touchdowns on the ground. Expect big things out of Jordan Travis. Uh, Garrett Schrader at Syracuse, I think that's a relatively unknown commodity, uh, but did have 14 touchdowns on the ground last year. Drake May at North Carolina, no idea. Yeah. That's been Sam Howell's show for a long time. Grant Wells transfers in from Marshall to take over the Virginia Tech job. Uh, he had 16 touchdowns and 13 interceptions last year. Uh, Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech. Like If Jeff Sims is the bottom of your quarterback barrel, that's a pretty good quarterback conference. Yeah. Right? Last year had 16 total touchdowns, uh, just under 2,000 total yards, and a very inconsistent, I think, as being generous uh, offense. And then finally at Duke, I guess, Riley Leonard, the projected <laughs> starter. <laughs> but still, if we're getting down to it and Jeff Sims is the bottom of that yeah. ranking, that's a pretty good conference. That's yeah, pretty it's pretty solid. That's pretty solid. It, that is one of the interesting things about this this conference, and maybe they make me you know eat my words here by by the end of the year. But especially there at the quarterback position, yeah. it's like the the you know sometimes you have those those one or two guys that just have superstar potential that are just absolutely insane, vying for the Heisman things like that, and then you kind of have a median and then a a really bad right. With ACC, it's kind of all. It's all very like relative. It's all kind of right there next to each they other. They have a like, couple of situations it's, it's that can be pretty bad. Sure, but for yeah. the most part, by, by I think the bottom, all of the, but... I think like what twelve out of fourteen teams probably feel really solid about their quarterback. Yeah, I think one through, especially like one through ten, one through eleven, yeah. there are are really really close to each other in you know what they've done and what they could be. So I think there could be some shuffling, really right? Sam Hartman could be the best at the end of the year. DJU could yeah. be the best at the end of the year. Brandon Armstrong, I think, certainly makes a case. But for me, right now, Malik Cunningham's the best college quarterback. I'm not talking about 
pro prospects. Yeah, no, I'm talking about that. Co- college quarterbacks. Malik Cunningham at Louisville is filthy, but there's a bunch of really good players inside the ACC, and I think this is a conference that has been down recently. Yeah, but with some moves, I think Mike Norvell is doing a good job at Florida State. I like what I've seen thus far in the offseason for Mario Cristobal. We haven't seen it on the field yet, uh, but just the moves that he's made. Plus, you have a really good quarterback coming back, and Tyler Van Dyke. I like what I've seen out of them. Clemson, I would not expect them to be down for too long. And again, is ten and three really down? Right. They might have the best defense in college football next year. We'll actually talk about that here in a little bit. But ACC, I won't say it's back, but it's certainly not as abysmal as it's been in the past. Right, no, not not at all. I think that the talent is there. Uh, I think for the ACC, we were really looking forward to and, and trying to, as, as good, that's the crazy thing, is having so many solid college quarterbacks in there and, and having the talent that these teams do, there's a lot of potential to do what the ACC does right. and cannibalize itself throughout the season. So yeah, I think for a lot of ACC fans, you're hoping that, yes, while you do get some fun football, you have a lot of really good teams. You don't have a lot of seven and fives at the end of the season. But we'll see. I do think there's one team that's better than the rest, and we're going to dive into that when we come back. But this is Second Down. We're presented to you by the Uniform Source on ESPN Radio. If you miss any portion of the show, check it out wherever you get your podcast. we got more to come after this. Second Down on ESPN Radio is presented to you by the Uniform Source. Christian Gokel alongside PJ Zuko. Glad to have you all with us here on this Thursday afternoon. We're talking about... Clemson there in the last segment, PJ, and it's amazing how quickly the narrative and the landscape and the attention can just get pushed away from you when you only win 10 games in a season. (laughs) That's it. That's it. I guess, to be fair, they lost a couple (laughs) early, right? Yeah, yeah. You drop one to Georgia to start the season, 10-3, to don't give up a defensive touchdown but lose the game, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, and then you lose to NC State, and all of a sudden, all right, we don't care about you anymore. You have two losses. We'll see you next year. Yeah. But I think that has kind of, I don't want to say skewed our vision on Clemson, but it's just kind of moved our attention away from them, which I think could be dangerous because we could be sitting here at the end of December going, well, should have paid col- more. Another college football playoff for Clemson. Yeah, should have paid more attention to Clemson. And I yeah. think they have a very – good blueprint if they needed one as to what their team could look like in 2022 from a team that they saw in 2021 which is the defending national champion georgia bulldogs so last year clemson's coming in fresh off of another playoff right was that trevor lawrence and clemson getting smoked by justin fields in ohio state believe so Yeah. yeah yeah so fresh off another appearance in the college football playoff defending acc champs coming in taking on a georgia team Kirby Smart, you're either a leader or you're not, yada, 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 right? Mm -hmm. That was the narrative last year. Georgia doesn't win those games. Clemson's one of the standards in college football. And then Georgia ends up winning it. And I think Clemson kind of had culture or uh, identity crisis after that first game because all of a sudden you went from Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne scoring whenever you wanted to. Uh, You had multiple NFL wide receivers that have cycled through that school, right? and you just couldn't get anything going. There wasn't a guy that you could just go, get this person the ball, and they'll carry us through this game. Like, again, you're done with Trevor Lawrence in the past. Uh, what, 2018 against Ohio State, can't score any points. Trevor Lawrence breaks off an 80-yard touchdown run, right? Travis Etienne saved that team multiple times. He was the ACC's all-time leading rusher. 
both of those guys leaving at the same time, I think kind of left Clemson with a little bit of an identity crisis. They didn't really know what they wanted to be on offense. And I don't think they really figured it out the rest of the year because that offense just remained clunky. And everyone wants to point it at the quarterback, DJU, but of course, yeah, I, I don't think you go from being a guy who throws for, did he throw for 400 yards at Notre Dame or close to it? He torched Notre Dame at Notre Dame. I know it was like, five touchdowns. Yeah. I don't. I, I know you don't. You don't go from that guy to I don't know how to throw a football. <laughs> yeah. In one year, I, I don't think enough people are giving credence to losing Travis Etienne and what he meant to that offense. But that being said, you don't you don't lose that in one year. So Clemson just was struggling to find who they were, and I think just based off their roster, they can base it off of Georgia going into 2022. You don't need your offense to lead you. They won a national championship in the not-too-distant past doing this, right? Yeah. 2018, just letting their defensive line with multiple first-round picks, Clinton Farrell, Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, all those dudes on the defensive line, let them eat, mm-hmm. and then nobody's going to score more than 20 points on you. Offense just has to do what it has to do, and you're going to win a national championship. Yeah. Right? Made Alabama and Tua look average. I was going to say, e- even that same year, going to the national championship, and was it – was it Trevor Lawrence in that offense just blowing people away? I mean, sure, maybe later in the game, but yeah, it started off with the defense. Trevor Lawrence. That yeah. was a team that was led by Kelly Bryant for the first four games. Right. And then they had to make the decision because of the redshirt rule whether they were going to keep going with Kelly Bryant or just be honest with him and say, hey, we're probably going to go to Trevor at some point, switch to Trevor Lawrence so he can save that redshirt. Yeah. And, I mean, rest is history. They go and win the national championship. But looking at this defense, right, it's – I want to say as close to what you saw from Georgia in terms of talent-wise as you're going to get this year. So you have Miles Murphy at defensive end, probably going to be a first-round pick. Xavier Thomas, uh, who is a freaky edge guy, probably going to be a first-round pick. Also have K.J. Henry and Justin Mescal, who are both excellent players. And then you have Tyler Davis and Brian Brisset at defensive tackle. Yeah, Which perceived like might be a top-ten pick. So you have that level of depth across your front. Now, do you have a N'Kobe Dean at linebacker? No. Like, you lost your guy in James Skowski. He's gone. But they have some really good players at those positions, but I just feel like that defensive front just makes up for a lot of the back end. People forget this about Georgia last year. You had a really young secondary to start the year, Mm -hmm. and you needed that defensive line to kind of carry them and just give nobody time to sit back there and look yeah. through the first part of that season. The, the secondary came along as the season went, but prior to that, it was just don't give them any time, eat them alive. Yeah. And also because you're so good, we can drop seven every single time. Right. We don't need to send five, six. Just crazy. Yeah. So I, I'm just looking at this defense and I'm thinking, you have a guy who came out with all the accolades in the world at quarterback and DJU, and hey, if that doesn't work out, you've transitioned from – starter because Kelly Kelly Bryant had a full year where he started for Clemson, won an ACC championship, went and got housed by Alabama in the college football playoff. Then the next year comes back, starts a quarterback for a few games, and gets replaced by the five-star, right? DJU starts every game last year, goes 10-3, and three, right? Coming back this year, probably going to be your day one starter, but Kate Klubnik, who was like the Elite 11 MVP, Checks all the boxes. Won a state, yeah. yeah, won a state championship in Texas. Five star, unbelievable. Right. And they said the competition between those two has been really close so far in the offseason. 
if the offense ain't working, which you have a new offensive coordinator, the offense isn't working, you can you can make that switch. Yeah. So you kind of have that in your bag, but you just have the fallback of, or we can just win games, fourteen to three. Right. If we need to. Which is they're very capable of doing. Again, they they proved it. They proved it last year, and obviously they they have the defense to be able to do that again, if they need to. Yeah, Davos th- Davos thinks that seven defensive linemen could be drafted Jeez. next year, which is just yeah. nuts. Uh, Wes Goodwin is the new defensive coordinator. Brent Venables, their longtime coordinator, now the head football coach uh, at Oklahoma. So if there is one little twist there, it's you do have a first-time defensive coordinator, but Wes Goodwin, a guy who studied under Brent Venables and is inheriting this defense, I would not expect to see too dramatic of a shift, at least in year one, right? Think right. Jeremy Pruitt replacing Kirby Smart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I I think those are probably like the best moves. Yeah. Um, for an offense for for a kind of system like like this is being able to promote within and and have that familiarity with with the guys that makes things a whole lot more easy than having a trans you know transport and a new defense all this you know, learn all these different things now have that familiarity with the guys and, and and obviously you already have the skill and the ability there yeah uh, just just let them go to work so hopefully we see that it's, yeah, we'll it's see. interesting I mean, and on offense they have basically two offensive coordinators right the pass game quarter coordinator is going to be Kyle Richardson uh for Clemson and I, I think more so than anything you got to start with DJU because you just don't want to go into the season with a freshman. I know we see it more and more inside of college football, but at the this level, you want to have their, – their dream is having the junior yeah. step up and be the guy for the season, right? I think your first goal has to just be getting him some confidence. And I'm looking at Will Shipley, their running back slash slot receiver slash do-it-all guy, and I'm just thinking that guy's got to make a quarterback's life so much easier. Yeah, he's very Alvin Kamara esque. Right, just make it easy on him. Bubble screens, yeah. Texas routes, right. Hand the football off. Hopefully, have some know success there. It's a crazy there, concept, yeah. but hand the football off. But it's just I'm not ready to bury Clemson yet, and I know they didn't win the ACC championship last year. Pitt gets the title, taking out Wake Forest in the championship game. But to me, Clemson still runs this conference. I think, yeah, you they, they certainly run it until. They have a like, prolonged think, absence, honest, honest right? Like, Dabo Sweeney said there's seven defensive linemen who are going to be drafted off of this team. Do you think there are seven other defensive linemen in the ACC that will be drafted? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, it's probably, it might be right at seven. I don't think it's more. So, have it, yeah, having it that many on one team like, There's a couple guys ridiculous. from Miami that might, even though they're, they're having a real place a lot. I'm trying to think around... I. Yeah, there might be more Clemson defensive linemen drafted than the rest of the ACC. That's the thing, that right? Especially like right right now, the ACC as a whole doesn't really seem like a big front seven type of conference. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it you have Clemson there, and uh, well, that's how you know, Clemson that's, puts a stranglehold on exactly. the conference, right? Is okay. Our blue, your they blueprint have those wants guys. to be quarterbacks and wide receivers. Our blueprint is going to be offensive linemen and defensive. Yeah, linemen. not letting those guys do anything. Correct. Yeah. No, exactly. So, no, I think you're you're right there. Yeah, probably seven or less in the whole rest of the ACC. Well, it, like you said, that that's that's their bread and butter. It's fascinating. I, and again, Clemson doesn't have to start with Georgia this season. They do have to start with the Georgia. <laughs> they just start with a different team. How about that? Uh, playing Georgia Tech 
in Mercedes-Benz to kick off the season. I think your offense might have a little bit more confidence coming out of that one uh, than it did from the first game last year. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. we got some Falcons talk to dive into next. It's a second down on ESPN Radio. PJ, when you know something bad's going to happen, you just got to find the silver linings in it. Try to take the positives away. Like when you know there's nothing you can do to change it, you got to find the silver linings in it, and you have to find the good and try to build off of it, right? You can't just waller in the sadness and the darkness. You got to find something to build on. You, you can, but you're going to be there for a while if you do. Like, see the good, I guess, is the best way I can, I can put it out there to you, right? See the good. Okay, right. So when the Atlanta Falcons play football coming up this fall, yes, there's going to be a lot of bad. You don't know it's going to be bad. Oh, Listen, it's going to be bad. I know for you, the shining light is going to see your boy, Marcus Mariota. Lead the Falcons to, to the playoffs? What playoffs? Like the relegation playoffs? Like No, what? They're gonna they, they, that? No, they're totally going to. They're going to. You know, he was pretty good in Tennessee for a little bit. That's fine. Tennessee also had like defenders and offensive linemen. You know, he came in a few times. Yeah, a few times. Uh, what was that last year for the, for the Raiders? Um, and like trick plays and stuff, and he did a great job with those. So, those. you know, hey, is there's that, hope. So that's what the Falcons are living off of this year: is Raiders trick plays and hope. Yes. Okay. Cool. So <laughs> that brings me back to my point, which is. It's going to be dark, and it's going to be bad. At least you'll have, like, the, the red helmets to look forward to against the Eagles. Yeah. Are probably going Woo. to – or, no, it's the 49ers. Probably still going to obliterate you, but at least you'll have cool red helmets on uh, to get obliterated in. But that being said, I think one of the silver linings we can look forward to this year is the progression from year one to year two for Kyle Pitts. Last year became the first rookie tight end since Mike Ditka to go for over 1,000 yards. Right. Now – he had the caveat of having 17 games. Or I think they played about six back when Mike Ditka used to play. But <laughs> Something like that. That being said, the jump from year one to year two is typically the most drastic in terms of overall performance. Mm -hmm. And so we know ESPN's been going around to our favorite, the anonymous coaches and scouts. Of course. And getting their opinions about who the best players are at the positions in their league. Notably, uh, Lamar Jackson left out of the top ten for quarterbacks. Darius Slay left out of the top ten for cornerbacks. Which I thought was jarring. Yeah. Uh, but having said, if I said who's the number one tight end in the NFL, you would say. Um, I mean, right now probably Travis Kelsey. Okay, he came in at number two. The other one that's gonna kind of flip flop back and forth, George Kittle. Yeah. Came in at number one. Number three, Darren Waller, who's just kind of become that the the model for that hybrid tight end. Yeah. Just a freak athlete should be playing in, in the NBA. Mark Andrews. Really? Comes in at number four, and I mean, deservedly so, right? Uh, he led tight ends in targets, receptions, receiving yards, first downs, and air yards per target last year. Yeah. It's not, I know he doesn't get a lot of pub, but yeah. I mean, like, he's he's been insanely good. Remember, like, back at, when he was at Oklahoma, it's just like throwing it. Basically, I feel like every time he caught the ball, was, it was a touchdown. He, he was the backbreaker during the Baker Mayfield era yeah. at Oklahoma, right? It was right. just like, you're like, I'm trying to stop the run. Yeah. Here comes Baker. Here comes C.D. Lamb. Here comes Hollywood Brown. Right. God, what was the, that running back's name that they had who cooked Georgia in the Rose Bowl? Yeah. Uh, but 
You have all of remember. these weapons, and so when you try it, you're like, okay, we're doing everything we can. We're putting a spy on Baker because he can run it too. They're going to run a bubble screen. They're going to try to get somebody over the top. Yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden, right down, splitting your defense is Mark Andrews on a RPO. Yeah. It was just, he was the back. Oh, by the way. Yeah. yeah. And he was excellent. And I, I loved watching him in college. So he comes at number four. Number five, Kyle Pitts. Okay. And again, this isn't ESPN opinion. This is them talking to NFL coaches yeah. saying who's the best. Right. And they have that number five. His highest ranking from the people they polled was three. Dang. So you can yeah, tell. A lot of respect. Which I think that's disrespectful to Darren Waller. A little bit. Kittle yeah. uh, and Kelsey. But that being said, uh, an, NFL an NFL coordinator said he'll be in that Waller-Kelsey class after next year. He doesn't even know what he's doing yet. Wait until he figures it out. I like that. I like that. And I could see the potential. For sure. Uh, I mean, it, you just talk about his ability and his skill level. It's there. Um, you just We've all seen that. I think what got him last year was didn't really have a ton around him. Yeah. So everybody kind of knew Matt Ryan was going to try to force feed him the ball, which we knew was going to happen anyway because Matt Ryan loves himself a tight end. But For sure. You, if you had Calvin Ridley, I think that opens him up yeah. so much more. But Calvin Ridley kind of checks out last year right. for the mental health reasons. I shouldn't say check out. It's not a fair way of putting that, but right takes right. himself out to yeah. deal with mental health reasons. Not going to have him again this year, mm -hmm. but you do have Drake London, and then they basically went out and said, hey, find me anybody over 6'2 that can play in the NFL, and that's who we're going to sign. They're, they're like, listen, if we can't beat him on the field, we'll beat him in the pickup game afterwards. So, well, See, that's yeah. the thing, right? Is like, like, like you're saying, Kyle Pitts was really your only big target in the red zone. And yeah. They're like, guess what? He only had one touchdown last year. We need all the big targets still, so that they can't just cover still him. Still doesn't have a touchdown on American soil. Yeah. Uh, that is probably one of my, like, not for Kyle Pitts. Like, I hate it for him, but at the same time, it's kind of one of my favorite stats from last you know my, year. You know what my least favorite, it's favorite hilarious. stat used to be? And obviously this has really changed in a big way. But my least favorite favorite stat used to be that Tim Tebow for a long time had more playoff wins than Matt Ryan. Yeah. And that was painful. Uh, but that being said... <laughs> I think Kyle right. Pitts has a chance to be really special, and yeah. we could start to see that this year. It went for over 1,000 yards last year, but Falcons were competitive last year. They're not going to be competitive this year. But I think you can start seeing him take that next level to being dominant. And a lot of it's going to come with you get to be in Arthur Smith's system for another year, and one thing they did not ask him to do a lot of at Florida is block. I mean, if you're a 180-pound corner and he got his, his paws on you, that was a wrap. Yeah. But for the most part, sealing an edge. Right, wasn't his forte. It was go get open, run four four at six six. Right, right, freaky. Gets a little bit better at being that inline tight end, lining up with a hand in the dirt versus just being split out all the time. And then you can start confusing defenses like the Darren Wallers do, like the George Kittles do, like the Travis Kelseys do, where you don't know where they're going to line up, which forces your defensive coordinator and whoever's calling the plays on the field for you to just be in panic mode all the time. Right. If you can start doing that with Kyle Pitts, he could be special. And if yeah. Drake London is able to add a just a legitimate target and a legitimate threat on the outside, that's going to open up so much for Kyle Pitts. Mm -hmm. And Marcus Mariota, you could do worse as your first quarterback. Of course. Yeah. Uh, I mean, his, his ability aside, I think that's probably one, one of the biggest developments for Kyle Pitts for me is it's not even him. It's, like you said, the, the people around him, and hopefully Drake London can, can take some attention away from him on that side of things. And, hey, like you said, if, if Kyle Pitts can get that much better at run blocking, maybe you, you open up some, some of those holes 
running the football as well, and yet you have a little bit more of a balanced team. But we'll have to see how those developments work. First thing to me is, like I said, not even him developing and, and hopefully making some big impact plays elsewhere on the field so it gives him a little bit more room to work yeah. and, and really display that athleticism that, that he has. But, no, nah, man, like, can you imagine if you could start seeing clips of just Kyle Pitts not, not bowling over people or anything like that, but just solidly blocking people, and then all of a sudden you get the you get a little fake block, then you leak out. Those could be the, huge. The George Kittle specials? Yeah, yeah, man, that could be big. I know we don't really call those anymore since Shanahan left, but hopefully we can start seeing some of those. I yeah. do want to touch on one more thing from these ESPN rankings that are coming out. They did the wide receivers yesterday. Uh, Jamar Chase came in at number three. Justin Jefferson came in at number four. So to recap with you, LSU in 2018 and 2019 had the fifth best quarterback in the NFL for 2022 and then the third and the fourth best wide receivers in the NFL for 2022. Yeah. That's pretty okay. Complete, complete insanity. That's not fair. You know what's crazy, too? I actually, you started listing that off, and that's not the first place I went. I went, who's one and two? Oh, for the wide receivers? Yeah. Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup. What? I mean, I guess. <laughs> I, Cooper Cup, I think you had to put up there just because yeah. of what he did last year. Triple crown. I understand. For yeah. wide receivers, catches yards and touchdowns. And then Devontae Adams, I think a lot of people kind of view him as Julio Jones two, three years ago. Yeah. Where it's just like, he's the best receiver in the league. Yeah. There's not a lot of room for me to argue any of that. But, uh, He's got a chance to prove the, it, though, because he doesn't thing. have Aaron Rodgers anymore. Right. That's the one thing I will argue is, and that this might be easy to say now, but Jamar Chase, I would actually agree, probably third there yeah, on that list right now, very easily could be number one go, coming out of, coming out of this year. Very I would with that. I think he's the most talented wide receiver it's ridiculous. And Justin Jefferson's yeah. not far behind, and they both played on the same damn team. Why does LSU keep doing that? Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. Why, why do they keep doing that? I mean, I don't know. That, can you say, I guess you can say keep doing it, but the, the difference in 2019, the difference of that team is they had all the guys around him, yeah. them, too. They didn't well, just I mean, have those two guys at wide receiver. What about what? So you're talking about having. Guys around a wide receiver. No, I mean, I, believe me, I, I'm specifically we, we talking about LSU. Yes or no, like, not yes or no. Wide receiver, you Alabama or LSU? Clemson. Are you looking? No, at I'm it? just kidding. Right. It's, this, is, it's, this is a fluid situation. We update it as we go. It's Alabama. Alabama's wide receiver, you LSU is DBU. You can be more than one. No, I'm not seeing any <laughs> Alabama receivers inside the top five. We got to take a quick break. We'll come back, get you ready for three and out next. Two guys. The voice you hear in the background, that of, uh, of course, Kevin Thomas, who's only about five minutes early for his show, but that's fine. He can hang out, listen to the pros do it. I guess. PJ, you said you had something you wanted to talk about. You, I, like, you were about to bring man, something up, and you said, ah, I'm going to yeah. save it. I want to save it for your, your honest reaction, and I didn't want to interrupt your point and what we were talking about in, in the last segment. But there is one thing you did mention, and there is news today that we haven't gotten to, okay. especially on the uniform front. You mentioned the Atlanta Falcons getting ready to use those red helmets against the 49ers this year, which yes. I can't wait for. We've uh, talked about something, and if they do come out with this, with all, I mean, they definitely are, then just forget about it. It's over. They have the best uniforms in the NFL. The Bengals releasing the white Bengal. They did it? Teaser. 
They didn't drop the helmet yet. Hold they up. dropped a teaser, and it's like this video showing like different tigers, Bengal tigers, whatever. And then it just cuts to, but there's one that's blah 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 blah. The white Bengal, just, and then it just, it just fades cut, away. Did it just cut to a picture of Siegfried and Roy? No, that, I don't think that was uh, showed at all. But they just showed a, a white Bengal tiger, and then it faded away, and then it said coming soon. So it's got to be the white helmet. Yeah. And dude, that's crispy. <laughs> oh, it's gonna be so clean. I'm looking at some. I can't wait. Now. I can't wait. Yeah, the Bengals 30 minutes ago put out a uh, picture of a white tiger. It said, announcement, local tiger is happy. Yeah, just shut it down. They got the, they're got they incredible. All the other yeah, jerseys be, and helmets might, in the NFL yeah, can take notes. Might be top five uniform in the NFL. So there you go. There's our daily uniform coverage here on second down. Kevin Thomas, Ben Tripp coming up next on 3 and Out. We'll catch everybody tomorrow.